like killer whales are awesome. Awesome. Plus free willy. I mean, come on, come on. Killer whales. Big time. This one's radio episode 1173 starts in three, two, Welcome back to Diz Runs Radio, where I talk with runners from all corners of the running world about running, life, and everything in between. I'm your host, Denny Cray, and it's just about time to head out the door for an easy run and a great conversation. So if you're ready, then I'm ready. Let's get started. All right, y'all, real quick before we get into your questions, my answers, and the requisite tomfoolery, need to give a quick shout out to AminoCo for being the sponsor once again of today's episode. Uh, we've been talking about AminoCo for a while. Amino acid supplementation, whether you want to take it before you work out, after you work out, just part of your kind of regular supplemental routine, making sure to, to fill in any any little you know weak spots of your of your diet. Uh, amino acid or amino co has you covered with various different types of uh, amino acid blends that are that are you know clinically proven and and scientifically backed to to you know just function just a little bit differently again whether it's before workout give you a little extra boost uh, post workout kind of help with the recovery process speed that up or just kind of like I said a life blend to just kind of make part of your daily routine. And one thing about AminoCo that's that's nice, unlike a lot of supplements, at least some supplements that are out there, um, they get a money back guarantee. They put their money where their mouth is. So you've got 60 days to take the product, use the product. If you're like, I don't think this has made a difference, which I don't think you'll say that. But if you do, all you got to do is reach out to them say, hey, nope, sorry, not for me. They'll give you your money back, no question asked. So, you know, what, what have you got to lose other than, you know, maybe giving your body exactly what it needs in the form of amino acid supplementation from AminoCo. So if you want to support AminoCo, if you want to support yourself by giving your body some of those building blocks of growth and muscle tissue and all that type of good stuff that amino acids do for us, uh, you can support the podcast at the same time by going through the link aminoco.com slash dizruns. That's A-M-I-N-O-C-O, aminoco.com slash dizruns. Uh, and use the code dizruns at checkout. That'll save yourself 30% on whatever options that you pick up. Let me know what flavors you get. Let me know what blends you get. And most importantly, uh, let me know how it's working for you. But thanks for supporting the sponsors and that support the show. Appreciate that. Once again, aminoco.com slash Dizruns, Dizruns at checkout to save 30%. So like I may have mentioned, like you probably have figured out, today's episode is the monthly Q&A where you ask questions, I give answers. There's a lot of other nonsense that filters in there. And, and a lot of times the answers kind of seem like nonsense. Sometimes the questions seem like nonsense. Y'all know who you are that send the nonsense this way. Uh, but one way or another, it's a whole lot of fun. Uh, I think, I don't know. I feel like I enjoy it. I feel like these are some of the most popular episodes that I hear from y'all or that even the numbers kind of bear that out. Not that I check the numbers too often, but I check the numbers once in a while. Let's not kid ourselves. Anyway, if, you, if you're new around here, we do this at the end of each month. The last Friday of each month is dedicated to your questions. And if you have a question now or in the future, I guess if you have a question now, sorry about your luck, a little too late, but if you have a question for next month or any month thereafter, uh, feel free to send them my way. But the best way is to join the Facebook group because in the middle of each month, I put out a post that says, hey, what are your questions this month? You reply in the comments. And that way I've got them all in one place. If you, if you avoid the book of faces, like I try to avoid the plague, um, 
like Gary Joe avoids the book of faces. You know, he usually sends a, a, a message on, usually on Twitter, occasionally on Instagram. Uh, but you can send them those ways, and, and I'll do my best to make sure they get in. Uh, you can send an email. Yeah, good luck. Uh, best ways to join the Facebook group. Dizruns.com slash Facebook is the link to do that, or just search for the Dizruns tribe the next time you're scrolling around on Facebook. Uh, but one way or the other, get your questions in every month. I answer them every month, and uh, let's get to it. Let's get to it. So we got uh, a little block of questions here, a little a little trifecta. I don't know. We, we got the Tom trifecta. We got the Gary Joe hat trick. I don't know what I don't know what the Mathis the Mathis mismatch. The Matt. I don't know. James Mathis kind of chiming in with three questions right out of the gate this month. First question from James: Now that you have moved out of the South and into the Deep South. Have you been introduced to any good barbecue sauces? Yeah, um, for those that don't live in Central Florida or haven't you know been there enough to really understand it, Central Florida is not really. The, I mean, it's it's geographically south, but not really the South. North Florida is farther south, metaphorically, uh, than Central Florida and Georgia. Definitely more south. Maybe not more south than North Florida. I don't know some parts. The part we're in, I don't think, is more south than North Florida but certainly more south than Lakeland where we used to live. Anyway, uh, been introduced to any good barbecue sauces? No, not really. I mean, I've, I've had, we've had a little bit of barbecue. A couple of our, our neighbors have, have some, some smokers and, and, uh, we've, uh, indulged a little bit at some of the neighborhood gatherings that we've done. Um, but I don't think that, I mean, their sauces were good, but I don't think any of them were like some, some secret backwoods, you know, super, I could tell you, but I'd have to kill you the recipe type of situation. Uh, and we haven't really stumbled into any like good hole in the wall or you know just smoker outside of the the, the Easy Mart um, places yet. I suppose I need to do that. I need to need to make a look around for those. But like I said, we're we're kind of I don't know we're kind of not in like the deep south of Georgia. But um, but yeah, that's that's a good call, James. I, I need to step up my barbecue game now that we've been here for almost a year. Uh, it's it's time. It is time to find some some good good old boy Southern barbecue because that's a good time we do have for whatever it's worth and i haven't tried it yet so it must not be worth much yet um but there is somebody in the neighborhood that does that does like competitive barbecuing uh, and every once in a while he'll put a post up in our little neighborhood facebook group that's like hey i've got you know i've got some pork butts or i've got some this or i've got some that first come first serve and it goes quick so i probably need to like need to like set a notification be like whenever whenever i can't remember what his name is but whenever he whenever he puts a post up about the barbecue let's jump on it this time uh, but I don't know if he's got his own, his own, he probably has, I mean, he, he competes. So he's probably got his own proprietary blend of sauce. So that's probably the one, uh, but I haven't tried it yet. Got to Got to make that happen in year two. I think got to make that happen in year two, but thanks for the nudge, James. That's, that's a good call. We need to, we need to find some good, some good Georgian barbecue or, you know, worst case, we can just cross the river because uh, the river's like 10 miles away. Not even that. Uh, to get us over to South Carolina, and maybe we can find some some South Carolina barbecue. Maybe we got best of both worlds. We got a little little Carolina barbecue, little Georgia barbecue. Just gotta just gotta find it. Gotta find it. Gotta make it happen. Next question from James: What would you suggest to someone who is looking for a new primary care physician? Physician, easy for me to say. The last one said to lower my blood pressure. I had to drop salt completely. Well, I can do that for about three to four months here in Florida, but the rest of the year I have to have some just to work outside. Not to mention going on long runs. When asked about electrolytes, the doctor suggested Gatorade. That's when I knew I needed to find a new doctor. Um, oh man, I, I, I'm gonna—I might get a couple messages from on this one. Um, and I know—I know what I need to do, but I don't know that I—I do know that I have not done it. Um, I am the last person to to ask 
Mr. Mathis, when it comes to what to look for in a new primary care physician, because I haven't had a primary care physician since I left my pediatrician 20 odd years ago. You know, I, I haven't, I haven't seen the same doctor since I saw Dr. Gunderson for the last time, you know, whenever I graduated high school, whenever, you know, whenever, whenever that exactly was, I mean, I know when I graduated high school, I can't remember the last time I saw Dr. Gunderson, but it was, it was around that same time. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know how to find a, a, a good primary care physician, but hopefully you could find somebody that, that might have some suggestions in terms of balancing the salt, but also, you know, like you're going to be, out, you're going to be outside in Florida for, you know, the better part of, Certainly nine months a year, you're going to need some, some salt and some electrolytes into the mix. Um, I might argue 10 or 11 months, you're going to need some, some extra electrolytes in the mix. And I know Gary Joe had a question about this maybe last month as well. Um, I don't know what the good options are, but there's, there's better options than Gatorade, I think. And hopefully, uh, maybe that's, maybe that's question number one in, in the screening process of finding a good, a good primary care physician. Um, I guess, I guess the technical answer or the, the real life answer is who takes your insurance because freaking that game, that health insurance quagmire that we find ourselves in, in terms of, Oh yeah, this doctor is great, but you know, their, their insurance doesn't like our insurance. So sorry. Like, Oh, what a hot mess. Anyway, you need to find a doctor. I need to find a doctor. We're over two on questions so far, James. Let's, let's make the third one even better. Hopefully maybe, I don't know. We'll see. Question number three, I seem to be volunteering more and more these days. I would like to know what people like to have at aid stations. And he did make a note in here, y'all, that uh, everyone can chime in. So if, if you haven't, I know Rob chimed in on this one, um, but but feel free to get over into the, the, the post in the Facebook group or even just, you know, tag him. Those of you that, that have special requests or things that you've enjoyed at aid stations, chime in for my man. Because he's trying to he's trying to take take care of the runners out there, taking care of ourselves. Um, but you know, everybody's got their own unique taste. So what do, what do I like at an aid station? I mean, honestly, I'm, I'm a pretty simple guy. Um, I mean, you probably figured that out over the year. I, I am, I, I can occasionally be mysterious, but more often than not, what, what you see is what you get. I, I'm low maintenance. Um, you know, soft spot in my heart for ginger ale at an aid station, especially for a longer race. Just, just, yeah. It, it, and, and I know that there's, there's a lot of folks out there that, that, you know, really have, uh, more sensitive stomachs and ginger, ginger, various things, but ginger ale, ginger chews, ginger, ginger products can really help to settle the stomach a little bit. Um, thankfully I don't have too much of an issue with my stomach, but like ginger ale is, is a little taste of back home. You know, I don't know. Ginger ale doesn't seem like it's a massive thing down in the South. Um, but ginger ale, like that was, so, that was a pop that everybody had. And yes, it's pop. Get out of here with your sodas. Um, ginger ale was a pop that like everybody, a lot of people had back up North. So that it just, it just, it just, you know, touches, touches at the heartstrings a little bit when I get a little ginger ale. Um, and so that during an ultra is good. Um, you know, but, but simultaneously, you know, something with a little caffeine, a little Mountain Dew, that's, that's a little hitter, uh, during, during a, a, a longer race. Um, I don't do pop very often, but on, on, on race day at an aid station. Yeah. We'll take, we'll take a couple of shots. Um, so that's, that's good stuff. Um, in terms of, in terms of food, I mean, y'all, y'all know that I'm a, I'm a potato chip guy. Never say no to potato chips on race day. So that's, that's a good one for me. A little salty, um, little, little texture, but you know, I, I, in, in a, in the occasional times that I'll have potato chips, not on race day, you know, I like, I like a little bit of a beefier chip, you know, something kettle cooked, something that's, that's, that there's a little substance to it. On race day, I want like the greasiest, flimsiest lays, you know, just, just 
flim flam dissolves on your tongue, salt, carb, nonsense. Um, but some, some potato chips would be good. Um, and then, I, I mean, again, like I'm, I'm not, I'm not really coming up with anything out of the, out of the ordinary, you know, some grapes or some type of fruit like that is usually nice. Maybe some M&M, some type of little, little candy, um, some things that, that are relatively easy to take a little take. I mean, not that you're going to, you know, M&Ms might melt in your, melt in your mouth, not in your hand, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to carry them with me for a while, but like, you know, take a couple with me on and, and hit it on the go. Um, but like I said, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty basic when it comes to my fuel situation. And if there's something special I want, like mounds, mounds candy bar is pretty good, but I'm going to, I'm going to bring that with me. You know, I'm not going to rely on the aid station to have that. Um, pickles are, you know, pickles are always good. There's the crazy people that like pickle juice. They can, they can, I mean, whatever, if you got pickles, you got pickle juice. So, you know, we can, we can work together. Teamwork makes the dream work there. Um, but yeah, you know, simple stuff, simple stuff, basic stuff, fresh fruit, cold drinks, um, I mean, not even cold drinks, but just, you know, some, some, some ginger ale, some Gatorade. I don't know if people like Coke. That's fine too. Maybe a little Mountain Dew. Um, but just keep it simple. Keep it simple. Uh, I think is, is, is always a good option. Um, but yeah, if y'all that are listening have other suggestions for my man, James, please feel free to hit him up in the group and be like, yo, you know, the, the, the salted watermelon, which I think is what Rob said, never really been my jam. But I suppose, you know, if needs must, if you're out there, it's hot. Um, I, I, I could probably get behind some salted watermelon, but that's not going to be my, my first inclination. Uh, but things that are easy to chew is what I want. You know, like, like maybe early in a race, some gummy bears or some gummy, gummy worms would be all right. But later in the race, yeah, that might be, that might be a little too much work. Gotta have, gotta have a good aid station though. And thank you, James, for volunteering more. That's, that's, uh, that's, that's the Lord's work right there. Volunteering at a, at an aid station, you know, that's, that's. Very much appreciated. So thank you for doing that. And thank you for the questions, my friend. Sorry. Sorry, my answers. I feel like I feel like I went over three on the answers today. Hopefully that's not a harbinger of things to come. We'll see. We'll see how, how maybe I can rally and, and end up having some good answers as we go. But uh, no, 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 no poor quality of the questions. Just poor quality answers. Get what you pay for around here. Get what you pay for around here. Next question from a little bit uh, west of here in the greater Atlanta area. Mr. Underwood chiming in. I hope this isn't too rambly or confusing. It can't be more rambly or confusing than me, Martin. So let's let's get to it. This is a long-winded question, but uh, we'll get through it. During marathon training for longer runs, let's say 15-plus miles, do you think it's more important to pay attention to the time spent running or to the actual mileage? I've recently been seeing several coaches and commenters online stating something along the lines of, especially for first-time marathoners, the physiological benefits of training beyond three to three and a half hours is negligible versus the chance of injury. My current plan for my first marathon peaks at 18 miles. However, my pace on long runs is at a point where that would likely take me four ish hours. Is it more important to build the time on feet or to hit the miles or should we just get the, it depends shots ready. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're probably going to have to go with the, the, it depends situation here. And, and, Quite, quite frankly, um, I mean, it, it depends. I, I, I hate to take the cop out answer, but there's so many variables at play, right? And 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 of course, one thing to keep in mind um, is there are no hard and fast rules when it comes to training for a race, Mar- marathon or otherwise. But there's no hard and fast rules. So just because a lot of people talk about 20 miles as being necessary to run your first marathon doesn't mean you have to run 20 miles. Doesn't mean that running 20 miles is going to make your marathon experience fantastic, right? Like there's nothing magical about 20 miles. 
There's nothing magical about three to three and a half hours. Um, yes, there is some research out there, and yes, there's plenty of people that that would would make the argument. Some make it stronger than others. That um, you know anything beyond that, it definitely starts to become you know less and less of a benefit potentially risky in terms of time on feet and you start to get fatigued. So you start to form starts to break down. There starts to be more injury concern. And also the other thing that comes out of it, that doesn't always get talked about as much, but the, the you know, the more you, you spend taxing yourself that day on that long training run, the more recovery you might need the following week, you know, so, so maybe it hampers the training the next week a little bit. Cause you overdid potentially theoretically in the minds of some, you overdid the long run on week a. So now week B you get less total volume of mileage because maybe you got to take two or three days off or really cut the mileage down at the start of the week to recover. And all those points are valid. All those points are valid. All those, those opinions and all those lines of thought like that. Like I, I know people, um, haven't coached them, but I've talked to them. Uh, I, I probably coached some too. I, I take the back. I've coached some people that haven't done 20 miles, but I, I know some people, um, that I can think of off the top of my head very specifically where I've had conversations where they've been like, you know, I, they, they really buy into that three to three and a half hour mark and they're, they're slower runners, which again is, is there's nothing wrong with that. Right. We all run our own pace. It, it is what it is. Um, but they're like, yeah, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to do a three to three and a half hour long run. And I don't care if it's 14 miles, if it's 17 miles, if it's, if it's 12 miles, like that's as far as I'm going because, because of how they feel if they keep going longer than that and just how it wears them down. And so, and they've run marathons on that where they run in, you know, five and a half, six hour marathons on the back of longest long run being three to three and a half hours long. So it can work. That said, there is something to be gained, I think, by, by getting to certain mileage points. And, and again, it's not hard and fast. It's not like you have to get to 18, you have to get to 17, you have to get to 20, whatever. But like, if, if your longest long run is three and a half hours, and I'm just going to make up numbers here, Martin, although it kind of sounds like it might be in line with what you're talking here, and that's going to put you at the 15 or 16 mile mark. All right. Could you go out there and finish your marathon? You know, if you did that once or twice? Yeah, prob- pr- probably. Uh, you know, absolutely. That would be within the realm of, of very much realistic and, and plausible. But I mean, there is a long, long distance, like... That's a lot of uncharted territory between mile 16 and mile 26.2. And like, I think, I think even though potentially, maybe probably some of the the physiological benefits decrease once you cross over that three, three and a half hour mark, I think there's a lot of mental benefits that can potentially be gained in terms of I made it to 18 or I made it to 20, you know, whatever, wherever you, you cap out, whatever you get to as your highest number, um, to where potentially the, the, the resulting second week where you pull back to make sure you're good and recovered. And, and depending on how you stack this, it might be before you get to your taper, right? You might be taking a little week up week down, down week before you get back to another solid week or two before you taper. I don't, you know, it depends on how your, your plan is set up. Lots of ways to do that. Um, but I think going to a point where you feel comfortable, as comfortable as you can be staring down the barrel of your first marathon that like, all right, it would only be 10 K left that I haven't done. It would only be eight miles, nine, wherever, wherever that number is. Um, because like, it, it just is, it's a long 
stretch of unknown where you don't necessarily know how you're going to feel. You don't necessarily know how, how your body's going to respond. Um, yeah. So anyway, I could, I could make an argument to go for the, the mileage and to get to 18 miles, even if it goes a little bit longer than what they would tell you. Um, I could make the argument and I could, I could support the argument that, you know, get to three, three and a half hours and then have another good solid week next week and trust the accumulation of total volume, total mileage like that, that works too. Um, it's not one or the other. It's not. And, 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 you know, for your, for your situation, Martin, if you're going to say that your 18 mile long run, longest long run is going to probably be about four hours, you know, maybe four hours and 10, something like that. I mean, you know, to me, that's, that's still kind of three and a half hours ish. Like, yes, it's four. Yes. It's four hours and 10, four hours and 15, but it's not like you're going, well, you know, for me to get to 18 miles, is going to take me five and a half hours. Like, and again, I've coached people who've wanted to run more than 20 in preparation for a marathon. And that long run has taken them four and a half hours, five hours, maybe even five hours and maybe close to five and a half. I can't remember. I have to go back into some of the archives and check, check, tra- check training logs. Easy for me to say. Um, but there's potential that, that some folks that I've coached have been out there for that long because for them, the mental benefit of getting to 24 miles, 25 miles ahead of their marathon was what they needed. And so you can make that work. So, so yeah, so that's why, I mean, that's why you got to get your shots ready and, and, and settle into it depends because there's the physical component of training, but don't forget there's the mental component of training too. And depending on where you stand mentally and, and how confident you are in your ability to close, you know, to run an extra 10 plus miles on race day than what you've ever run in training. Um, some people can do that. I, I don't think that would work very well for me. Uh, but then, but then, you know, then to make the layered more layered, you know, maybe, maybe for your second, third, fourth marathon, maybe it becomes less necessary. If you decide to run multiple more marathons in the future, it becomes less necessary to get to that 18 or 20 mile mark because you're like, yeah, you know what? I've done this before. I know I can do it again. Let me get to the three and a half hour mark. Maybe do that two or three times in training instead of quote unquote, just once. Um, so I might, I might not ever go longer than that, but I'm going to get there two or three or four times. Um, and I'm going to have this whole, whole body of training that's built me up to this point. And yeah. So what if I've only gone 16 or 17 miles in training? I know I'll be fine. I've done it before. I can do it again. Um, so there's another layer to where it depends. So yeah, man, it, it depends. It depends. It depends. You know, I, I apologies for, um, getting, getting the shot glasses out so early today. Uh, I'm going to do my best to not have too many more of those today, but we'll see no guarantees there. Um, but ultimately Martin, to get back to answering your question, I don't know that one is more important, certainly across the board. Um, but which do you think you need a little bit more of? Do you think that, that the time on feet is, is okay? Do you, would you feel more comfortable if you hit a certain number, even if it's a little more time on feet than what others might recommend? Um, whatever you think you need. And, and maybe you won't really decide until you kind of see how the training goes. And maybe t- things are going really well. And you're like, you know what? Three and a half hours. Good enough. I'll be good. And maybe you're struggling a little bit and you're like, you know what? I, I need to get to 18. I just need to do that for my mental focus and my mental training. And then you do that. Okay. So yeah, man, it depends. Depends. Sorry. Um, next question from Kate. How do I convince my husband to move to Georgia so I can hear horse noises on my long runs? Here you go, Kate. It's been a while since you had one of those, I know, but, uh, yeah, um, you know, there's, there's houses in the neighborhood and, um, you know, George is a nice place. I think, I think, I think the way to convince your Canadian husband to move to Georgia is not quite yet. Look at the, the weather forecasts in Evans versus in Lakeland. Um, but give it, you know, maybe mid September, maybe early October, 
when it still feels exactly the same in Lakeland as it does now, just hot as freaking balls, you know, um, then just, just pull up the, pull up the, the weather of Evans, Georgia. And it'll be like 70 degrees, 50% humidity. And you'd be like, wow, it's October 1st. And like, we can be outside and be comfortable and maybe almost be chilly in the morning because it's 55 degrees in the morning. You know, basically it feels like Christmas in October here in Georgia compared to the weather in Florida and around Christmas time, it actually feels like Christmas, which will also speak to ye Canadian, his Canadian heart, I guess not your Canadian heart, uh, his Canadian heart. So, so maybe, maybe that's the angle. I don't know. Um, also just, you know, Florida continues to be more and more of a shit show every day. So maybe, maybe just let him come to the conclusion on his own that like, man, Florida kind of sucks. It's time to get out of there. Um, love y'all that live in Florida, but man, come on, let's be honest. Whew. Hot mess that state has become. Um, <laughs> anyway, still still love to go back to visit, but it's fun, it's more fun to go back to visit than it is to uh, live there these days. At least at least where we were living, I think. I don't know. I'm I'm getting getting potentially in trouble here. So um, so yeah, just plant that seed, keep watering it a little bit. Um, and maybe maybe you'll be you know having some some horse noises uh, running with you again at some point in the not too distant future. Um, but in the meantime, you know. At least it's flat in Florida. At least you got that going for you. Hills here. Be careful. Be careful. But thanks for the question, Kate. Uh, next from Monica, longtime listener, first time question asker. Well, welcome, welcome to whatever this is, Monica. I hope I, I'm glad you came out of your uh, your 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 shell of not asking a question. But glad. Thank you for listening for a long time. And and uh, let's see if we can help you a little bit with your question today. Uh, any tips for running in high humidity for a back at it again runner? I've had. I've had to take an extended period of time off due to health reasons, and it's been unusually an unusually humid summer. Long story short, I'm struggling. Um, oh man, I you know I wish I had a, some good advice um, other than you know it too shall pass. You know, like like I don't care if you have taken a year or two or five or however long your your off time has been, um, and you're getting back into it this summer. Versus if you've been running consistently for a decade, like running in the summer is tough, especially if you live in an area where it's, it's unusually humid, where it's wicked humid. Um, humidity is just brutal. Like, you know, cause if it's, if it's hot, but not too humid getting out early enough in the day, you know, getting out or maybe before the day even begins getting out at five in the morning, six in the morning, while maybe not ideal, it's, it's markedly more tolerable. Um, but even if it's, even if it's, you know, a decent enough temperature, but the humidity is still at 87% or 93%. Um, and the dew point, since I'm an expert on dew point now, I'm an expert on all things remember from last month, but I've been, I've been informed on what the dew point means. That's just basically, you know, when the dew point is, is where the, the water actually like materializes out of the vapor. And if the dew point's high and the humidity is high, it's like you're freaking breathing water, you know? Um, and that can sometimes be worse at five in the morning than it is at 10 in the morning. But then at 10 in the morning, the sun's up. So that's worse. So it's, you know, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. Um, and, and all that to say, I struggle with it. It's not fun. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's tough. Uh, you know, every, everybody who runs in the summertime, again, especially if it's hot, especially if it's humid, struggles. Whether you're new to coming back to the running, you know, whether you're new, whether you're new to running, period, whether you're, newly coming back to the sport after an extended absence, whether you've been running consistently for, for months and years and decades, um, summer running is tough, but here's the thing. If you can keep, keep going, 
keep grinding. Maybe you're walking more than you would like to be. Maybe you're walking exclusively as opposed to running right now. Maybe you're kind of running slower, whatever the case might be. Um, if you stick it out through the summer and just do the best you can, don't worry about the stats. Don't worry about paces. Don't worry about this. Just keep showing up, be consistent through the summer. When the fall comes, which maybe it's going to come, you know, mid August, maybe somewhere where the, the, the summer will break then. Maybe it'll be mid-September. Maybe it'll be October 1st like it is for us here. Maybe it'll be Christmas Day for Kate and everybody down in in Florida. Um, But whenever the fall finally comes and it cools down a little bit, like, you'll see, like, this massive, massive relative. But, like, you'll see a jump forward in, like, how you feel, how your runs are going, pace, endurance, all those types of things because the humidity has lessened, the temperature has cooled, and, like, it's just that much less stress on your body that the heat and the humidity provide. So, um, I don't have any great tips to, to beat the heat and the humidity right now. I mean, you could, you could take it inside on the treadmill, you know, Thessaly, I love that shout out. Um, but that, I mean, that's an option too. You know, it's, it's not an option that I would really entertain, but that's me. And, and, and I don't mean that in a holier than that way, but like, you know, I, that's just not an option for me that I would be up to consider. But if, if the humidity is that bad, you know, join a gym for a couple months or, or, you know, what, if, if that's an option, if that's, if that's feasible, um, and start getting some of that base work back done on the, in the, on the treadmill, but in the air conditioning. Uh, and then once it starts to cool off a little bit, then you can head back outside, um, without the humidity being so oppressive. I guess, I guess that's probably the one suggestion I could have. Otherwise, like it's just, it sucks. And, um, but it gets better. It gets better. So thanks for the question, Monica. Um, hope that your, your time on the struggle bus is short and hopefully, uh, that humidity drops for you soon and you can get back outside and not be struggling so much with the, with the heat and humidity and just enjoying your running and your return to running again. But thanks for the question, lady. I appreciate it. Uh, next from candy. Do you think doing three to four short runs back to back, uh, training for a half marathon is a horrible idea or should I stick to my usual one long training run day and one short run? It's just too hot here in Texas. Every day it's 106, even if I start to run at 5 a.m. But I'm back to running and loving it, so that's a good thing. Um, well, that is a good thing, Candy, and glad glad that you're back at it a little bit. Um, and and quite frankly, no, no, I, I don't think that that that's a bad option at all. Um, kind of like with with Martin's question, like there is there is some value to getting a certain amount of distance, you know, whether it's marathon training, half marathon training, whatever. But depending on when your half marathon is, um, doing those three to four shorter runs, whether it's on back-to-back days or whether it's even every other day or, you know, a couple of them are every other day and then there's a back-to-back and then whatever, however you want to stack it, um, that could be great for just kind of building the base a little bit, especially while it's hot. Uh, because I, I, I kind of used to have this, this feeling, um, when I used to run during midday in central Florida in the summertime, um, I could go for about 30 minutes. Like it was never too hot for me to get about 30, maybe 35 minutes in had a little route that I would run at at work, um, down along the Disney boardwalk. I'd I'd get, you know, it was kind of like three miles, three and a half miles, something like that. I could get that done. And like, I'd be hot by the time I finished, but like I could handle it for that 30, 32 minutes, something like that. Uh, any longer than that. And, and, and that was when it was really starting to get miserable. So if, if you're kind of in that type of situation where you could do 20, 30, 40 minutes, something like that, whatever, whatever your shorter runs would, would shake out to be, um, with, with the Texas heat, then do that, do that. And then, you know, once it eventually theoretically starts to cool off a little bit, 
then maybe you shift back to, to that one or two short runs per week um, as you start to bump out that long run a little bit. Now, if, if the half marathon's coming up a little bit quicker, um, that could be, I don't want to say it's a bad idea. It could be a little bit more challenging and feeling like you're prepared for the half. But again, you know, what, what, if, you're, if your total mileage with the three or four shorter runs ends up being about the same as your one long and, and one short run, um, I'm not going to tell you it's the same as having that longer run under your belt, but it's not dramatically different. Um, there's a lot of ways to build fitness, a lot of ways to be ready for a race and accumulating mileage in little chunks can get you there, can get you there for sure. So especially when it's hot, especially when it's miserable out there, get out and get your handful of miles in. And I don't know if you just heard the dog bark, but the dog just went nuts. Uh, but she's agreeing. She's saying, yes, Candy. Yes. Get out there and get your miles in no matter what. Um, and that'll be good enough. That'll be good enough. Thank you for the question, lady. Uh, next question. Another one from Martin. Do you ever drink iced coffee? Or are you solely on the hot cup of Joe train? Um, I no longer drink iced coffee. Iced coffee was my gateway into the, into the coffee world. It was my, my gateway drug, if you will. Uh, the old Dunkin' ice with cream and sugar. Um, that was, that was how we really got started. Um, but I've, I have long since left those days behind. Um, nothing against iced coffee, but it just, it just doesn't, it doesn't hit, it doesn't, it doesn't warm the soul as much as the hot cup of coffee does. Um, so yeah, you know, I'm, I'm at a point in, you know, old man life where like, yep, hot, hot coffee is what we need. If you, if you like your iced coffee, Hey, you know, you do you, I'm not, I'm not here to yuck somebody else's yum, but, uh, hot, co- hot coffee all the way, no matter how hot it is, doesn't matter. Give me a hot cup of coffee and, uh, you got one happy camper here. Um, one thing I will add to my coffee from time to time, a little bit of amino co, a little bit of, a little bit of that heel blend after a long run, add that vanilla into the coffee, maybe a little bit of chocolate into the coffee, uh, to get that little mocha, mocha flavor. Um, I obviously that's with the chocolate, get the little vanilla, vanilla hitter into the coffee as well. Once in a while after a long run, either is good. I wouldn't do both because that's just excessive, but one or the other, uh, I've done them both. They are good. Uh, great way to get that, the, those amino acids into the system, help speed up the recovery after a good hard run or a good long run. Um, so, you know, there's that, but it's gotta be hot coffee. Gotta be hot coffee, uh, for me, for sure. Aminoco.com slash disruns is the link. Once again, aminoco.com slash disruns. Disruns to check out, save you 30%. Uh, but thank you for the question, Martin. And, uh, yeah, hot, hot coffee all day. Well, not all day, every day, because I'm, I'm too old to do that all day, every day thing. But until about one, one and two o'clock in the day, every day, hot coffee for sure. Next question from Lewis. Serious question. Don't you just love it when the construction companies jack up your favorite running routes and you have no advanced knowledge of it? I mean, you know, it is what it is. Like, it's a lot easier to go around construction when you're running than it is when you're driving, right? Like, it's a lot easier to change your route on the fly as a runner. So I just roll with it. You know, I, it, life's too short to get worked up about it. It's not ideal, but you know, it's not, it, we'll, we'll, we'll make it through. We'll, we'll get, we'll get around it. Um, but hopefully the, the construction can be done relatively quickly. You can hit, get your, your route back unencumbered by cones and extra traffic and machinery and all of the things. Uh, second question from Lewis. Funny question. Yeah, yeah funny question. Yeah, funny guy. Funny guy, this Lewis. Uh, who is going to win at all of the track and field world championships in Budapest, Hungary? Um, I mean, the man and women that the the man and woman that run fastest, the man and woman that throw the farthest, the man and woman that jump the highest, jump the farthest. Uh, those are the winners. And other than that, don't care. Don't care. Don't care. 
love, uh, you know, probably watch, but like, you know, whatever. We'll root for Team USA, I suppose. But, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Who's going to win? Whoever runs fastest, whoever runs, throws the farthest, whoever jumps the highest. Just like always. Just like always. Funny guy, Lewis. Thanks for the questions, my friend. Next question. Look at this. We're at like 36 minutes and we're, you know, we're getting close to the end here. This We're going to be over an hour, but we're not going to be in that two-hour range today, I don't think. Famous last words. We'll see how we go. Uh, but anyway, next question from Carly. Curious if registering for the Disney 10-miler in April is it a reasonable goal if you're just starting from scratch. I haven't run in two years, gained a bunch of weight, and been through some health stuff. Thanks for any advice. So, Carly, um, short answer is yeah. I mean, I, I absolutely reasonable. Absolutely reasonable. I mean, we're, we're talking, you know, late July. You're looking at April. I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to exactly count it out, but what is that, nine months? Nine months to build up to 10 miles. Um, yes, you might be starting from, from, feels like you're starting from scratch. I would argue that if you, you know, you did some running, you know, not in the last couple of years, but you did some running before that, that you're, you're not starting quite from scratch, but that's maybe semantics point being that, that you can absolutely, you know, over the next eight, nine months build up from relatively not running at all to being ready to go for 10 miles. Um, now, you know, I'm not going to say that you're going to be at like peak fitness, uh, running absolutely as fast as you physiologically could ever possibly run in 10 in, in, in nine months or eight months, whatever it is. Um, but can you go from the start line to the finish line, stay ahead of the balloon ladies, maybe stop for a couple of pictures with some, some characters, have a good time, um, and still have enough energy afterwards to go out and do some Disney stuff. Yeah. I, I have a hundred percent confidence that you could do that. Absolute confidence. Um, so yeah, you know, and if, so if that's, if that's something that sounds exciting to you, something that you might want to do, uh, I think it's, I think it's doable. Um, you know, I think that, I think that especially if you're already thinking about it now, which of course with run Disney races, like you're probably, I don't know when the registration opens for that, but it's probably soon ish. So like you'd have to get registered soon. So like, you know, you got plenty of lead up because you'd know, you, it's not like you'd be, Oh, could I do this? You know, in, in two months, like it'd be like, you got eight months to prepare for it once you sign up. So, um, so yeah, plenty of time to build real gradually, real slowly, kind of get, get back into the groove, build some of that confidence up that, that like, Oh yeah, I've done this before. I can do this again. Um, yeah, I think, I think you got plenty of time, plenty of time and, you know, subtle, subtle, not subtle hint, subtle plug for myself. I know a guy that can help you if, if that's something that would be part of what you'd want to do. But if, you know, if, if you got your own plan or you're going to follow something that, that somebody else does or whatever, could you do it in eight, nine months to get to 10 miles? Yeah, I would, I would argue you could get to a half marathon. I'd argue you might even could get to a full marathon, although it might be, that might be pushing it a little bit if you are starting relatively from scratch, but for 10 miles, I don't mean to say this like dismissively, like, of course, 10, but like, absolutely. You could, you could build up to that in nine months. Um, absolutely could. Absolutely could. So good luck. Keep us posted. And if we can help out, whether it's, you know, from the group, me specifically, um, feel free to, to lean in, ask more questions. Um, but good luck. Good luck. Thanks for the question, Carly. Uh, next question from Rick Lind is as, as a trail running hack. I follow some of the big U S trail races, Western States, hard rock, etc. Do you have any interest in running one of the U S major ultra marathons? Rick, I feel like you're trying to trap me with this question and I do not appreciate it. I do not appreciate it. My friend, because those U S major ultra marathons are all hundred milers. And we all know 
that as of right now, I don't really have any interest in running a hundred mile, you know, maybe subject to changing my mind in the future. But as of right now, no, I don't have any interest in running a hundred milers. That said, you know, would I, if, if somehow the, the running gods were like, you don't have to enter the lottery Diz. You can just run Western States. Would I, would I, I mean, I couldn't pass that up. Right. Like, like I'd have to do it. Right. Um, you know, hard rock, like that's a beast, but like, yeah, you know, Leadville, yeah, yeah, you know, like I'm not going to like enter those races, but if somebody called me and they're like, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm so-and-so from the hard rock on hundred. Um, and we, we, you know, we love your podcast, which I don't think they even know that I exist, but if they did, they're like, Hey, we love your show. We'd love to have you out here to, to run the race and, and do some stuff and blah, 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 blah. I mean, I mean, I suppose that's when I'd have to rethink my, you know, I'm not going to run any hundred mile races anytime soon philosophy because I would, I would, I would absolutely do it. Absolutely do it. Um, so, so like, so, so the, the phrasing of your question is interesting to me or not interesting, but it's, it's a tough one to answer because I don't have any interest in running one of those marathons in terms of like, I don't have any interest in, in signing up, entering lotteries, things like that. Um, but if, if the gods were just like, here's a gift, if you want it. I mean, yeah. So I guess that means I have interest, but not really. But like, do I? I don't know. Um, answer and assume that answer however you want to assume it. Um, but like, like, no, I don't have any real interest to. But if the opportunity, like, I couldn't pass up the opportunity. I think that maybe makes sense how I'm trying to how I'm trying to, to phrase it. Um, so no, but yes, or yes, but no, or something like that. Something like that. Second question from Rick. As a Minnesota native, I always root for Courtney, for Courtney, for Courtney DeWalter. Uh, how impressed were you with pulling off her double victory? I mean, she, she's a beast. She's a beast. Winning, winning back-to-back hundreds. Setting, did she set two course records? I can't remember. You know, I, I, don't, I don't follow it that closely, um, but I know she set the course record for Western States. I, I believe she set the course record for Western States. Uh, and she, like, two weeks later, three weeks later, won another 100-miler. I mean, she's just a beast. She's straight-up stud. Um, I mean, that's not the first time I've been impressed with some of the stuff that she's done. Uh, prof, I'm assuming probably won't be the last. Um, yeah, she's a, it's a, very much impressed, very much impressed with the things she's done over the last three, four five years. And this was, you know, I don't want to say I was more impressed or less impressed, but like, uh, if somebody was going to do what she, what, what she did, of course it was going to be Courtney. Of course it was going to be Courtney. She's freaking awesome. Awesome. And from what I've heard. Um, you know, just kind of through the grapevine. She's a pretty cool person too, which is, which is really cool. So yeah, hat tip to her for sure. Uh, all the, all the success, hopefully all, you know, continued success for many years to come for, for her. Uh, but thanks for the questions, Rick. Uh, next it is time once again for the Tom trifecta. First question from Tom. How do you feel about running shoes becoming more specialized these days? Back in the day, I had just one pair of shoes, maybe two on occasion. Now we have easy day shoes, tempo shoes, high stack shoes, carbon fiber planted shoes, and everything in between. Is this specialization really helping runners? Um, that last part of the question is really, really interesting to me, Tom. I don't know that I caught that before when I kind of scanned through the questions before we get started. Um, how do I feel about running shoes becoming more specialized? These days? I think it's, I think it's a lot of overhype. Um, I think that if you're the 1%, of runners, you know, if you're running two hour and whatever, two hour and 20 minute marathon for the men or, or faster, if you're running two hour and whatever, 35, 40 minutes for the women, um, then yeah, it probably, it probably is, is worth all the, the different bells and whistles and 
training shoes and cheater shoes and whatever. Like, like, yeah. Okay. Then, then yeah. Um, but for, for you, me and everybody else, that's that's, you know, somewhere from, from the mid front to the mid, to the mid back, to the back of the pack. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with having multiple shoes and rotating shoes. I think you could even make an argument that sometimes that can be helpful, but like, you know, I basically have one or two pairs of shoes going, uh, quite frankly. All right. So here we go. You know, uh, let's, let's, let's open the curtain a little bit on this wizard of Oz situation we've got going over here. Um, I have been fortunate enough for the last, what's it been? Maybe five years, four years, something like that of doing, of reviewing shoes for running shoes, guru.com. Um, which means that in that time I haven't bought, I don't think I've bought a pair of shoes in that time. Uh, sometimes just due to shoe release schedules and things like that, I'll have, you know, three or four or five pairs of shoes that I review over the course of, you know, four months. So like, I'm kind of just shuffling through the shoes. I wear them enough times to get a feel for it, review it. If I like one, I'll kind of keep wearing it, but then I've got another pair of shoes. Like, and this is not me complaining. Like this is, I'm very fortunate in that situation. Uh, but all that to say, the only reason that I, that I rotate through two or three pairs of shoes right now is because I've got, I've got two or three pairs of shoes that I really like that have lots of life left in them that I got because I do shoe reviews. Right. And, and if I didn't have that, if I was just buying, if I was, if I was buying shoes like uh, the every man and every woman, um, I would buy one good pair of shoes and I'd wear them till they were freaking worn out. I'd wear them for speed work I'd wear them for easy work. I'd, re- I'd wear them for, you know, maybe I'd have a, tra- a trail shoe and a road shoe, but you know, I'd wear my road shoes for everything for track work, speed work, tempo work, endurance work, race day work, whatever. Like those are the shoes I'm wearing till they're, till they're shot. Then we'll get another pair. Um, so yeah, I think, I think the shoe specialization is, is, I mean, I'm, a, I, 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 I'm not anti-capitalism at all, but it's just capitalism. It's just capitalism. It's, it's, it's going, if we market this differently, then people will feel like they have to buy four different pairs of shoes when like one pair probably works, you know? And, and like, I, it makes me laugh, right? Because like, I, I've got uh, a pair of Torrens right now that I'm, that I'm reviewing and they're a little bit, there's, there's a little more stack to them, a little bit more cushion to them than, than maybe would be my ideal shoe. And one of the things I have to, I have to fill out when I do my review is like, you know, what is this shoe good for? Is it good for track repeat, repeat, speed work, race day, whatever. And like, to me, I'm like, yeah, it does all of those things. It does all of those things. Yet to some people, they'd be like, oh, I need, I need a track spike to do track work. Well, like, no, you don't like, I mean, maybe if you're running 45 second, 400 meter repeats, but if you're running like 75 second, 400 meters, 80, 80 second, 90 second, which is, which, you know, not for nothing, 90 second, 400 meter repeats, that's six minute mile pace, you know? So it's not exactly slow. Now, you know, maybe for a 400 meter repeat, you might could go faster than that, but like, you know, it's not like you're just plodding along. Um, but like, I'm not going to run 80 seconds versus 90 seconds because I got track spikes versus torrents, you know, like get out of here with your shoe specialization. That's me. That's me. Grumpy old man. right there, in case you were wondering, um, not grumpy old man in at you, Tom, but just, just at the idea that, that, the, that the, the shoe companies are telling us that we need three or four or five different pairs of shoes for the different type of workouts we're doing. Pfft, get out of here. One pair of shoes. Good enough. Maybe two. You know, I, I like the idea of having a couple pairs to rotate through anything more than that. It's not a bad thing, but it's not necessary. And to have, you know, all these different types of shoes for each different type of run. I mean, you know, more power to you, but is it really helping runners? No, I don't think so. I don't think so at all. Um, I don't know that I think it's hurting might be, might be costing us a few extra dollars, but I don't think it's hurting anybody. Um, but it's certainly not helping anybody. 
So there we go. Rant, rant on running shoes over. Let me tell you how I really think. Nope, just already did. Already did. Uh, thanks for that question, Tom. Second question from Tom. I heard that in weight training or strength training, focusing too much on the pectoral muscles can hinder the ability to breathe while running. Is there any truth to this? Um, yeah, I think so. I, I don't know that I ever heard it phrased that way, but what can happen if you're doing too many, you know, push-ups, chest press, things like that, that focus on, on the pectoral muscles, which are the muscles of our chest. If you do, if you do too many of those and not enough to balance out with the back, so not, not enough pull-ups, not enough rows, things like that, that are more back centric exercises. Um, you'll have a tendency to have your shoulders kind of like the, the muscles of your, of your chest, and especially cause they're kind of hard to stretch. You can stretch them, but they're a little hard to stretch. They'll, they'll contract from doing all the strength training work and kind of can pull your shoulders forward a little bit. Um, not for nothing also kind of tends to happen when we're all hunched over our devices and our screens and our computers all day, every day. Uh, so maybe it's a double whammy there because we're in that kind of bent over hunched position. And then we're also, if we're doing too many pushups and, and bench press and chest exercises, or we, our, our chest kind of collapses that way. And yeah, that can make it more difficult for us to ex- expend our, expend, expand our rib cage, maybe stand up tall, posture can suffer a little bit, and that can impact inhalations and impact breathing, both while running and while not running. So, um, you know, in a roundabout way, like, I don't know that it would be like a massive factor, but it could, it could make it a little bit harder to get a little bit more oxygen in your lungs, or you may have to work a little bit harder to breathe, which, you know, that's not ideal. Um, so I'm not going to, I'm not going to say don't do too much strength work because that's, that's not most people's problems. Certainly not most runners problems. Um, but just try to make sure you're getting some good upper body back strengthening too. And quite frankly, if I, if I were to be so bold as to speak as a personal trainer of which I may or may not still technically be one, um, I would say that you'd be better off just from a form perspective and from kind of agonist antagonist muscle perspective. Um, you're probably better off doing more back work than chest work. Anyway, you're better off doing more rows. You're better off doing more hangs. You're better off doing more pull-ups, um, for the actual function of those exercises as a runner, it's still upper body, but you're still going to, that's going to help your form, help your posture, uh, help your arms swing more than a strong chest. And maybe just, maybe it's going to help you open your lungs. Your, you open your, your rib cage up, which is going to help expand your lungs more too. Um, so yeah, just cause you can't, just cause you don't see those, those chest muscles or those back muscles in the mirror, you know, just cause you don't, don't flex your chest and go, at least I do. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe, maybe you don't do that, Tom, but I do. Um, you know, don't do that with my back. You know, do that with my chest. Try to make my, make my pecs pop. They don't, but I, we, 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 we try once in a while. We, we, a boy can dream. Um, but that doesn't really help the running as much as maybe doing a few more back exercises would. So, so yeah, hit the back, do some pecs, keep it balanced. You know, we want we still want to have good muscle balance throughout our bodies. Cause as I've said before, I think that helps us just be more functional humans, which helps us be better runners as well. But yeah, too much, too much chest might sort of pretend to look good on the beach, but not very functional for us as runners. Last question from Tom. What is the best ice cream flavor to eat on a hot summer day? Vanilla with crushed Cadbury eggs. Get out of here with your vanilla. I mean, vanilla, there's a time and a place for vanilla, but like, no. And then crushed Cadbury. Egg. Get out of here. You're just, you're just begging. You're just begging for some, some nonsense. And I just gave it to you. Uh, best ice cream to eat on a hot summer day. Ah, I mean, so, so it's, it's, it's been documented 
that I'm a mint chocolate chip fan. And I am a mint chocolate chip fan. Or, or a mint Oreo. That's good. Mint moose tracks. That's good. Mint and chocolate. That's, that's a good combination as far as I'm concerned. But maybe, maybe I'm going to hedge. I'm not going to dismiss the mint chocolate combo as a good option for a hot summer day. But I kind of feel like that's more of like, that's more of an in the house watching TV situation. Um, but like a hot summer day, something fruity just seems to hit a little bit, a little bit harder. So whether it's like a black cherry, um, you know, whether it's, it's, uh, what else? Like a peach, peach ice cream. That would be good. Strawberry, uh, strawberry. If it's got chunks of strawberry in it, if it's just, if it's just like Neapolitan strawberry, like, eh, eh. Um, but I feel like, like a good hot summer day, refreshing ice cream. Like, I'm not going to say no to mint something or another, but like, if it's a fruit ice cream, that's probably, that's probably better in the summertime, probably better in the summertime. Just keep the Cadbury eggs far, far away. And if all we've got is vanilla, we'll take that. We'll take that. But something, something fruity is going to, is going to hit that, hit that summertime mark just, just a little bit. And if I, if I had to go all in, I think I'd go all in on black cherry, Uh, but peach, peach would be good. Peach would be good too, but something fruity, something fruity for sure. Thanks for the questions, Tom, as always. All right, we're getting close. We got Gary Joe Hattrick, and then we got one from Michaela, and then we'll, we'll wrap it up and get out of here, I think, unless somebody's – I've got a notification here. Did somebody else leave – nope, no other messages. So that's, that's it. There's four questions left. First question from Gary Joe. Hattrick time. Good stretches to loosen up the outside of the quadriceps. Mine are tarted, tighter than tree bark. Um so, so here's the thing when it comes to stretching your quads, so, so, so just, just, you know, quick, quick physiology lesson, uh, maybe not, phys- maybe, maybe it's more anatomy, whatever, quick, something science of human body pers- perspective question. So the quadriceps are called the quadriceps because there's four muscles that make up the front of your thigh. Um, they all kind of do the same thing, but they are four distinct muscles. There's two of them that are in the middle and one on the outside, one on the inside makes four quad quad, meaning four quadriceps. Um, that said, in terms of like stretching them, it's really hard to isolate one muscle versus the other. It's possible, it's doable, um, or it's, it's at least possible to favor one versus the other. But to, to, to get to the outside, I mean, just pulling your foot back behind you, stretching your quadriceps in general, is going to go a long way towards helping to loosen up the, the lateral quadricep head as well. Um, may not be perfect, but if, if that... If your quadriceps are as tight as tree bark, my friend, just, just keep it simple. Just do straight up stretching your foot back behind you, pulling the the heel up to your backside. You know, if you got your left, left foot bent back, grabbing your left ankle with your left hand, pulling your heel towards the keister, you know, you're going to feel it through the front of your thigh. That's, that's good. That's a good quadricep stretch for all four heads of the quadricep. Now, if you want to, if you want to isolate a little bit more on the outside, I'm going to, I'm going to see your stretch and raise you a foam roller. Um, Get the foam roller out. Which, which I have on decent authority works better when it's not, you know, tucked away in a closet somewhere, but when it's actually out and you use it, uh, I can't confirm that because mine is just, you know, taking up space in the living room right now, but you know, maybe I'll use it one of these days. Um, but get it, get a, get a roll on the lateral part of your, of your quadricep. Um, you might, you might need to say some Hail Marys and some, some our fathers afterwards, because you might have some, some four letter words that come out of your mouth. If you start rolling that, that lateral quad a little bit, um, especially if it's that, if it's as tight as you're saying yours is like, whew, yeah, you'll, you'll know you're alive when you roll your, your lateral quad. 
um, kind of where that IT band area is, like, yeah, that is not a whole lot of fun. Um, but that'll be a, a better way to target that section of the muscle to loosen up than trying to, to rotate your, your hip out to, to focus or rotate your hip in to try to focus the stretch on the outside part of the, the quad while also maybe putting a little more stress on the knee than what you really need to do. So um, stretch the quads in general, just straight back, hit the, hit the lateral with the foam roller and uh, ask for forgiveness from Jesus afterwards, because whew, you're going to say some, you're going to, you, even if you don't say, if you don't say some things, you're a better man than, well, we all, we already know you're a better man than I am, Gary Joe. But if you, if you don't say some things, you're a really better man than I am, but you're going to think some things when that foam roller starts getting on there and whoo wee not no place for a nervous person on the foam roller on the quad. That's for sure. Uh, question number two, running cadence. Is it really that big of a deal or is it an, it depends. Um, I'm not going to go with it depends. I'm going to go with, it's really not that big of a deal. Um, because, because, and again, we've talked about this before, but I have no problem reiterating, um, the 180 that everybody talks about is like this gold standard of, of cadence is not like it, it was, it was figured out as an average, as an average, right? So, so Jack Daniels, who came up with the, the, the number was watching elite marathoners, which that's an important piece of the puzzle too, because no offense, Gary Joe, no offense, anybody else listening, but I don't think most of us are elite runners. I know I'm not. You're probably not as well. So elite runners, multiple elite runners average out their cadence during a marathon running at, at elite marathon pace, whenever it was ago. So it was a little bit slower than elite marathon pace right now, but the point still stands that that was the average, which if you know anything about math, average means that some people were running 183, 185, 187. Some people were running 178, 179, 172, 163. Um, and then when he averaged them all together, he's like, oh, the average elite marathoner at race pace cadence is 180. So what that, what that tells me is somewhere around that is probably ideal when you're running at race pace. Um, but like for an easy run, I mean, there, there is a point where you, like your cadence probably should pick up if you get too low. And I don't know what that number is. Cause it's going to vary. It is. That's where it is going to be. It depends. Like, like, you know, the, the too slow cadence for one person is, is ideal for somebody else. And maybe is too fast for somebody else. Um, I would worry more about overstriding as long as you keep your feet landing underneath you. Um, I think the cadence kind of takes care of itself and not for nothing, but the slower you're running. So if it's an easy run day, you know, the, the, the you're running slower, your cadence is going to slow down, which again is why it was elite runners at marathon pace, race pace, right? I bet, I bet that if he went and watched them do a training run, the same runners running, you know, a 15 mile, easy, slow pace training run, like and that is where he calculated the numbers. And we'd all hear that one, 165 was the gold standard of cadence, you know, or whatever, whatever the number would have been. It would have been, it would have been slower than 180. It may not have been dramatically slower, but it would have been slower because we run slower. Our pace slows, our cadence slows down. Uh, maybe our stride shortens a little bit. So we kind of make up for it a little bit, but it's just, it's just, it's, it's a, it's a average number that was never designed, never designed, at least as I understand it. You know, correct me where I'm wrong. Please. If, if, if you have somewhere where he said, you know, I think this is the number for everyone. I'd love to see it. I would argue with him and tell him he's wrong, but I don't believe that it was ever even designed to be an individual metric. Just like while I'm on this soapbox, just like BMI was never designed to be something where you look at your chart and go, all right, I'm, I'm five foot, 10 inches tall and I'm 166 pounds. And that means that my BMI is 24. Like, no, 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 no. 
BMI was originally designed to look at population studies. So it was designed to look at a population, you know, hundreds of thousands of people and go, all right, well, the average, average size is this average size, average height, average weight. All right. So that means that the, this is the average body mass of a population never designed to be individualized yet. We've individualized it and like, oh my God, my, my BMI says I'm, I'm obese or this or that or other. Maybe you are, maybe you aren't, but that's, that's taken numbers out of context and I feel the exact same way when it comes to 180 is this magical cadence. 180 is a good target, but if you're a little bit shy, a little bit fast, a little bit slow, it can, it can still work for you just as well. Just as well. I don't think my cadence ever hits 180. Very rarely does my cadence ever hit 180. Um, you know, and, and maybe that tells me I could do better, but I, I don't stress about it. I think I'm doing all right. I think I'm doing all right. So not that big of a deal as long as it feels comfortable and as long as you're not overstriding. Don't overstride. That's where people get in trouble. Um, more than just about anything else. So that's question two. Question three from the Gary Joe hat trick foolishness. If you could be any animal, what's your call? Um, so I, like I, I spent way too much time thinking about this question, way too much time thinking about this question. Um, I've long maintained that being a dog in my household is a pretty sweet gig. So if I could be a dog for myself, if I could be my, if I could be the dog of, of my, of, if I could be my own dog, I mean, that'd be pretty sweet. You know, good, good couple of walks a day, a run most days, uh, food in the bowl, water, a couple of toys up on the couch, you know, like, like my dogs have it made pretty well. Uh, not everybody's dogs do. I, you know, plenty of dogs that are struggling. Uh, so I don't know that dog across the board would be the answer, but like, man, if I could be, if I could be my own, if I could, if I could be the, the dog to myself, whew, that would be, that'd be a pretty good gig. Uh, in terms of wild animals, um, you know, part of me wants to say the honey badger because, well, the honey badger, yeah, you know, we all know what they don't give. Uh, and, and like, I kind of like to think that I would be that guy. Um, they're also kind of an isolated, you know, isolated animal, which like I'm, I'm down with not living in a pack. Um, but I say that, and then I settle on, I think my, my real answer would be orcas, like being a killer, like you're a killer whale. Like, that's awesome. And then like, you know, just, just recently, right. The killer whales are like, these Johans out here on their yachts off the coast of Spain, fuck those guys, like we're going to crash their yacht, which like maybe isn't like the best thing for me to say, but like you're a killer whale and people are out on boats and you're like, get this boat out of, you're out in my backyard. Get the fuck out of here. That's kind of cool. That's kind of like killer whales are awesome. Awesome. Plus free willy. I mean, come on, come on. Killer whales. Big time. I put, put me in Puget Sound, big old orca, orca, you know, a uh, fin. Catching salmon. Oh, yes, please. Maybe, maybe catching baby seals once in a while. I know that's a little bit gruesome, but it's the circle of life, people. It's the circle of life. Orca. Yes. Yes. I want to be an orca. I mean, I don't want to be an orca, but if I had to be an orca, I'll be an orca. Faux show. Faux show. Thanks for the questions, Gary Joe, as always. Last but not least, Michaela chiming in. Okay, spill it. Story. And, uh, how is the new pup and the old pup getting along? So, um, in case you haven't heard, in case you haven't read your email for the last couple weeks, uh, we got a new dog and, um, she's doing all right. She's doing all right. You know, we're, we're still figuring things out. It's, it's been, it's been an interesting process that really, you know, the more I think about it has played out very similar to when the old dog came into the house, when the old dog was the new dog and like the dog that we saw at the shelter, um, has proven to be very much different from the dog that we have now, not necessarily in a bad way, 
but just, you know, like dogs in, in the shelter. She was very like kind of timid and skittish and like was very quiet when she got here and just kind of like kept to herself. And like, it was it, like, she was adjusting. She was probably overwhelmed at the shelter with all the dogs and all the craziness. And, and now, now she's a little bit more feisty. I mean, she's, she's two. So she's still got all that puppy energy in her. Um, but, uh, so, so I guess the story of, of getting her. All right. So, um, we've been thinking about getting a dog for a little while. Uh, thankfully, I guess we didn't pull the trigger on one before we left Florida. Cause that wasn't, if you remember correctly, that, that whole move wasn't long and thought out. So we very easily could have grabbed a dog just before we decided to move, which would have still made the move. The you know, move could have still happened, but made it more difficult. Um, and then once we got up here, it was kind of like, you know, we were kind of sort of thinking, but like settling into a new house, settling into a new routine, um, just hadn't quite made it happen yet. And then it's, you know, then it's like, well, we're going to go here for Christmas and then we're going to do this for that. And like, it was never a good time to get a new dog. Right. Um, and then, you know, but we kind of been looking and we'd look at, look at the shelter web pages every so often. And, you know, there'd be people posting things in, in the local groups about, you know, this dog is, is available or this dog, you know, sharing posts from the, from the different shelters around. And, uh, just before we went to Michigan, um, there were these three, uh, looks like, um, you know, short hair, German, German short hair pointer, uh, dogs that got dropped off at the shelter just across the, across the way in South Carolina. And, uh, you know, they're all two years old. And so it's like, kind of like not a full on puppy cause full on puppies are a pain in the tuchus. Um, but also not like super, I don't want to say super old, but like still young. So still, you know, hopefully good, good Lord willing. We're, we'll get well, this one for at least a decade, you know, maybe even a little bit longer than that. Um, so it's like, Oh, that sounds awesome. But like, we're leaving for Michigan in three days. And so like, we can't get one of these now. Um, but it was like, well, maybe if they're still here when we get back and I kind of didn't think that was going to be, you know, a week and a half later would happen. Well, we got, we got back and one of them was still available. And so then it was like, Rebecca and I were talking. It's like, I don't know, maybe and hemming and hawing and like, well, what do you think? And it's, well, we got this going on. And you know, just like, like we talked about before I talked about somewhere, like it was just never the right time. Um, but we pulled the trigger. We went, we went over and saw it a couple days before Addison's birthday, uh, kind of have, have made it to be it. So it's Addison's dog. Theoretically, maybe technically, technically maybe it's Addison's dog. Uh, but it's, so Addison, it's it, Luna's Addison's dog, uh, went over, saw all the dogs and Addison kind of wanted to bring them all home. And I kind of wanted to, too, but we couldn't, we couldn't bring 30 dogs home that day. Uh, but we brought one home and they got along pretty well for the first couple of days. And then, and then Luna started to, to get a little more frisky and Bailey, you know, Bailey is my dog. She is my dog. She is a dog after my own heart. Um, she's grumpy. She's old. She's set in her ways. She doesn't like the new, the new riffraff that's around here. She, they get along just fine when we are out running and this and that and the other. But then like Luna's like, let's play when we're in the house. And Bailey's like, Arr! she don't want to want to play. And like, it sounds really bad. Uh, it's like they're really fighting. They're really not. It's almost like Bailey's playing to like, be like, stop playing. And Luna's like, oh, that's not, that sounds like a fun game. That's a fun game. Um, so it's been a little bit crazy the last week of, as, as Luna's settled in. Um, and we're working with her. She hasn't, she doesn't know a lot of, well, she's knowing more and more commands now, but when we got her, she really didn't know any commands. Uh, so we've been working with her a lot. Uh, but now we got the, the backyard is fenced in now. So that helps. We can let them outside and, and Bailey doesn't want anything to do with that. Cause she's like, it's hot out here. Like I'm going to go back inside where there's air conditioning cause she's old and she's smart and she knows what's up. And Luna is young and naive and foolish. And like, I'll go chase the ball out here, which is cool. Cause you can do that. Um, but also like, it's hot out here, dog. Why aren't we just inside, you know, laying on the floor with your belly on the floor, cooling off. Um, but they're, they're doing fine and, and they, they run together really well. Uh, they walk together pretty well. Um, uh, but it's when they're in the house and Luna wants to play that 
it's not so not so pleasant in Pleasantville. But uh, we'll we'll get we'll get there, um, and we're doing fine. And, and happy to have a second dog back in the mix again for as long as we'll have a second dog in the mix, and then we'll be back down to just one eventually. Uh, but hopefully, hopefully not for a while. So there you go, new dog, living living life, having a pretty sweet life, if I do may say so, because she's my dog, well our dog, but she lives in my house, so she's got you know food and able to be on the couch and toys and a fenced in backyard now that we didn't have before we got this dog. But when we got a new dog, it was like, all right, we got to get the fence on the backyard. So we made that happen. Still would rather be an orca though. Still would rather be a killer whale. Absolutely. But being a dog, not too, not too bad. Not too bad. Anyway, they're doing well. Thanks for the question, Michaela. I'm sure there'll be more dog questions in the future. No, no questions from Melody today, which means we'll have like 17 dog questions from Melody next month. But we'll, we'll make it happen. We'll make it work. Uh, but that's it for questions this month. So, um, thank y'all for, for chipping and chiming in. Um, what do you think? What did I get right? What did I get wrong? What do you want to know more about? Uh, hit me up on the social medias at Dizruns on Twitter, at Dizruns on Instagram. Let's shoot me an email, Dizruns at gmail.com. And of course, if you want to head over to the show notes for today, where every question has been answered in the form of a meme or a gif, because I have to do something to entertain myself once in a while. Um, and that's how I do it. Memes and gifs. It's my love language. Uh, Dizruns.com slash 1173 will get you there. You can check out all of the memes that I used to answer with. And if you want to give me any feedback, the comment section is always there. Uh, Amino Co., once again, sponsor for today's episode. Thanks to them for continuing to support the show. Thanks to you all for continuing to support Amino Co., support the other sponsors that we have here as well. Uh, helps keep the lights on, helps keep things going and growing, which is always appreciated. Aminoco.com slash Dizruns is the link. Got that information on the show notes. You got the information in whatever device you're listening to this to on right now. Just it's in the, it's in that little section down at the bottom where all the the info about each each episode is. There's a link there. Click that link. To support the pod. Support the podcast. Support the show. And make sure you use the code Dizruns at checkout. Dizruns at checkout. Save yourself thirty percent. And with that, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up. Uh, once again, join the Facebook group if you haven't done so already. Get your questions answered for next month. Uh, but until then, y'all, thanks for listening. Hit the share button if you have somebody who might enjoy this episode. And uh, we'll talk soon, right? Later, y'all.